Hello and welcome to Broader View. Broader View is a podcast that explores a fresh, modern approach to current issues around sexual health and lifestyle, told through personal stories and experiences. I took the hairs from here. Right, and okay. took them out one by one and then <gasps> implanted them on here. How painful was that? Very. One of my best friends is a trans woman. I, I just think it doesn't actually make you female and I can't really understand why anybody does think that. When, when I was eight years old and the boys at school called me a pansy, I thought they'd called me pansy and I loved the name. Hello, my name is Morel Harris and I am an NHS clinical nurse specialist in sexual health and contraception. My passion for this podcast is to raise awareness, remove stigma and create understanding to give you a new perspective on a variety of sometimes controversial subjects. Teenage pregnancy, sexual orientation and gender, topics which are not always commonly talked about. In this episode of Broader View, we will be looking into gender identity. Is gender something that's been invented by society? What actually makes a woman or a man? The Gender Recognition Act of 2004 is about to be reviewed. This dramatic new law will govern how trans people can have their gender identity legally recognised and marked on their birth certificates. So today we'll be talking to Juno Roche, writer, campaigner and transgender woman, on what the new changes may mean to her and how she feels they may impact on the trans population. We'll be hearing from Mayday for Women, a radical feminist group who oppose any changes that they feel may endanger their cis female spaces. We'll be hearing from Hannah Witten, a famous and articulate vlogger, who will be giving her views on feminism and transitioning. But first, we hear from activist and writer Sugar Swan. Her story is absolutely compelling, and she told me how she felt when she began to realise the difference between herself and her peers. My first real memories were wondering why, as a young child, I was treated differently by my parents than my sister was. People who are perceived boys are just treated differently than people who are perceived girls. Mm. And we're expected to do, especially back in the 1970s and the 1980s, we were expected to play with different toys, we were expected to interact with different people, we were expected to just behave a certain way. Mm. And it's just, it, that wasn't how I was. Here's writer Juno Roche. No one I know who is trans has ever, it's ever entered their head to pretend to be trans for any other reason other than this is what they are. Now, the only thing I ever had to pretend to do, I had to pretend to be a boy for many years of my life because... You know, I was told that if I didn't do that, then there was something wrong with me. For years, I had to try and do that. I always knew who I was. When, when I was eight years old and the boys at school called me a pansy, I thought they'd called me pansy, and I loved the name. It felt so right. It felt like it felt being female, whatever that means, be that socialised or, you know, in terms... I'm not interested in why I am the way I am, but... Being female was the only thing that ever felt natural and right to me. Being, I had to learn how to be a boy, and I had to learn that every day. And I had to remember it every day. And I had to try and get it right every day, and I got it wrong every day. And people would want to beat me up or hit me or do that, all that stuff that happens. Um, Lizzie Smith, I'm 23, I live in London. I'm a video game developer. 
Well, when I was 15, I changed my name sort of informally, and then shortly after that, I changed it legally, got a new passport and whatnot, got a DPOL, um, and I started seeing uh, various doctors to try and get on the road to transition medically. I transitioned to school, you know, all my teachers and everything uh, were told. Uh, and then when I was 18, well, when I was 17, I started taking hormone blockers. And then when I was 18, I started taking uh, cross-sex hormones. So I had testosterone injections. Right, cross-sex hormones, what, what are they? Um, it's when you take the hormones of your opposite sex. So if you're transitioning to female, you take estrogen and progesterone. If you're transitioning to male, you take testosterone. Okay, and, and how did that affect you? Sort of um, on every level? Physically, my voice broke and I started growing more body hair, facial hair and my skin texture changed a little bit in the way that, you know... And how you felt about things? Did it change any outlook on life or...? Uh, yeah, I'd say it chilled me out a little bit, especially given, like, I'd wanted it for a really, really long time. I was very dysphoric and I felt a lot better about my body and myself generally when, you know, I started passing more. My face got more masculine and my voice got more masculine and I could present the way that I wanted to and that made me feel a lot more confident generally. Passing as a woman or a man is complex and vital to the survival of the individual transitioning. It doesn't just involve wearing makeup and stockings or getting tattoos and growing muscles. Blending as a woman or a man can be a challenging, frightening and potentially dangerous endeavour. Surgery was part of the process for sugar. Lots of different surgeries, um, all sorts of things, from hair transplants. Um, I had no hair at all at the beginning of my um raised eyebrows from you there as well. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, none at all, none at all. Well, why? So Because gone... I'd, I'd lost it all. From... Yeah. Oh, literally yeah. from just... I'd lost it all from um, hormone-related right. male pattern baldness. Gosh, yeah. okay. So from that to um, an, a new face. Can I have a look to... at it? I'm looking at the top of Sugar's hair and that's just incredible. Can I feel? Yeah, of course. That's just so... When they transplant, are they taking hair from... They took the hairs from here. Right, and okay. And took them out one by one and then <gasps> implanted them on here. How painful was that? Very. <laughs> are you awake for that? Yeah. And yeah. how long would that take? I had four day-long surgeries of about 17 hours, 18 hours each. I've had a lot of work done to my face. Right. Um, I've yeah. had work done to my chest. What did you get done to your face? Oh, all sorts. Um, I had about 18 different individual procedures, from, like, a nose job to cheek implants to chin implant to jaw contouring to hairline advancement to um, um, a neck lift, neck muscles shortening, facelift, all kinds of stuff. And now when I yeah. look at photos of my mum when she was my age, I, we look very much the same. Incredible. And I, m me, my sister and my mum now all share lots of very similarities. What is meant by the term trans? Jamie Pallis from Gendered Intelligence, the organisation that supports young trans people, explains. We use the term assigned at birth. So you're assigned a gender at birth. I know commonly in the media people might say you were born a man or born a woman. We say, well, you're not born, first of all, you're not really born as an adult. But also, you know, you don't really have a choice about the gender you're given at birth. It's based on someone's assumptions about your sex or your, your biology. Exactly. 
just how we, you know, determine birth, mm-hmm. gender, birth sex now. Everyone's assigned a gender of birth, and trans people are people who don't feel that that gender is who they are. They might identify as so-called opposite gender, so they might, they might be assigned female at birth, identify as a man, they might be assigned male at birth, identify as a woman, but also, as I said, like, there's a big variety. So we would class trans as quite a broad, kind of a broad spectrum of people, of an umbrella term, so non-binary people, people who are kind of exploring their gender in different ways. May Day are a collective of women who have come together to oppose the proposed changes to the Gender Recognition Act. My name's Olivia Palmer and I've been sort of a lifelong feminist and campaigner for human rights. May Day for Women, unlike some of the other groups, are radical feminists. Um, we believe that society can't just be altered by um, you know, all women shortlists and women sort of gaining small amounts of power here and there in the society that we've got. We think we need a radical change to society and and women need to be liberated rather than sort of equality being achieved in in the situation that we have at the moment. So when you say radical feminist, just define what a radical feminist is. I mean, it's quite a sort of long uh, topic but like radical basically means the root so so we think we need to address the the root of the problem which is patriarchy and we need to um, therefore yeah change like all the institutions and um, structures that are upholding patriarchy rather than just making little changes. I can completely sympathise with why anyone of either sex might be uncomfortable with the roles that society has put upon them. One of my best friends is a trans woman and he was unhappy with the expectation that society had. But I I just think it doesn't actually make you female and I can't really understand why anybody does think that. To change your sex officially in the UK, at the moment there is a process to go through, which results in someone being given a gender recognition certificate. There are calls for this to be simplified as part of the review of the new Gender Recognition Act, as Jamie explains. Also being to do with pension ages in the UK because there's this discrepancy. When they look at the Gender Recognition Act, they will have to look at all these other laws that relate to gender, so pension age, they have to change, so it will be a bit of work. You don't actually have to kind of undergo medical transition to get a gender recognition certificate, but you do have to have been living your gender, you know, <laughs> two years. Your new gender. Exactly. And you need to have your application assessed by a panel of so-called experts. And, you know, you have to pay a fee to go through the process to be able to change your... St- so it's quite... It can be quite demoralising sometimes. Mm. You can fill the application in pro- not properly because it's quite difficult and then you've got to go through it all again. And you've got to submit very personal information to kind of... A, panel you will never meet in person you know it's quite a strange absolutely it's like a bureaucratic process exactly i think there's a great argument to say let's make it more streamlined let's make it more straightforward because it's also creating bureaucracy for the government Mm. where in needham you know it could be a much more straightforward process and i think we've seen in ireland and various other countries where they've you know simplified their process to make it based on self-declaration. They've had no issues, basically. The gender battleground happens to be a location of my childhood. 
the tranquil Kenwood Ladies' Pool has been a sanctuary for inner London women, offering a safe and beautiful space for generations of women. The pool is part of a chain of ponds situated on Hampstead Heath and is reserved solely for ladies. It is used by celebrities such as Helena Bonham Carter and author Esther Freud. I headed over to my family home in West Hampstead to meet the many generations of women who have used the Kenwood Ladies' Pool to see how they feel about the proposed changes to the Gender Recognition Act. So, well, that's another issue, isn't it? Whether the person coming in has a penis or not, where uh, there seems to be a lot of contention in that in itself. But we have a lot of transgender women who have been using the pool for decades and have said, but we've always been there. So I guess that what's brought this up is there's something called the Gender Recognition Act, and it's based in 2004. And um, that basically meant that you had to go before a panel and say that you've been living as a woman for two years, you have to send in all your evidence, and uh, then you will get, you're allowed to be assigned your chosen gender. The new law is saying that you can just identify as female, male on that day. So I think it's raising a lot of issues of, but what if people are just self-identifying on a Wednesday? It comes down to, in the end, people don't want to see bits, do they? They don't want to see male genitalia. I think that's that's the the nitty-gritty, is that it's a place where you're in the, the shower. Most women are comfortable being nude. And I think that's... But I wouldn't expect somebody who's transgender or who's transitioning to want to be in that situation anyway. I feel it's more about attitude and if, if transgender women come in and they and as you say they've been there all the time anyway that's kind of the feeling that I have that if mm. they're there and they take that approach and they just want to enjoy the ladies pool without hassling anybody I actually don't have a problem but if they're strident and become political about it transgender lesbian I don't whatever I ha- will have a problem with them Hannah Witten is a youtuber broadcaster and writer who makes video blogs and shares information on sex and relationships and feminism. For her, it's straightforward. I mean, I just believe trans women are women. Like, and it's and it's that simple. And this argument of like, I see the value of female-only spaces, but I'm like, but trans women are women, so I don't really understand what the threat is, because that's what it feels like to me, is that radical feminists are like, this is a threat because they don't see these women as women, they see them as men, and they see men as a threat. So do you feel, what do you feel about trans females coming into that space? How does that, is that something that is? Well, I mean, I don't really, I don't understand why it is they feel the need to come into women's spaces, especially spaces like that, where there are alternatives. You know, there are plenty of pools that are there for, anyone of either sex so it's not like they they're excluded from a lot of places um, I think that there are lots of there are a lot of women that just would rather be around you know just women on their own and um, for various reasons and probably um, swimming pools kind of to the elite, less dangerous end of it but then you've still got um, you know, as a woman, you'll probably know that men expose themselves quite frequently um, to women who don't want that thing happening. There's, um, you know, I guess there's times when they sort of sexually harass women, and 
I think that it's quite reasonable to just demand that occasionally we have some spaces where we can feel completely safe and know that there's no men around. But for the regular users of the ladies' pool, it's not solely about whether you're male or female. It's an inspiring and accepting place to be for many other reasons. But on the, you're on not... the empathy side of things, I found the women's ponds that we've been we went up there together from when we were like 15 or yeah. something. And it was an amazing place, a magical place as a young girl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been comfortable in my body for, you know, you know I just have. Some people aren't. But it's a magic place where you've got teenagers up to, you know, huge spectrum of women, all shapes, sizes, ages. Mm-hmm. And that's empowering. Yeah. And it's, you know, so for someone who is going through a change, it'll be a beautiful place to be. But you don't get judged. You know, you don't have to go and display everything. But to be surrounded by that and be in that place, I think it's a shame. You know, if, if they can't enjoy that. Yeah. If you feel uncomfortable with your body, you look around, you're like, oh, wow, it's okay. You know, everyone's normal, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, you've got <laughs> oh, yeah, like that, oh, look at your bum. Yeah. <laughs> but what role does society play in the idea of what makes a woman or a man? I spoke to Lucy Jeffries, who organises creative projects for young people, designed to challenge, surprise and make us think about what is really meant by gender, and to consider how the subconscious mind plays out our gender stereotypical roles. I run Quiet Down There, which is a community interest company based at the Open Market in Brighton, and we produce artist-led projects. We run Hijack, which is a festival for families with children under 11. So it's 4 to 11, so it tends to be primary school. The idea is that the whole family is having a creative experience and it sparks something which will hopefully then go on and be carried on at home, whether that's a conversation or an activity. Well, I've definitely noticed that lots of families um, might struggle to know how to talk about gender equality. I don't think there are any families that don't believe in gender equality, but they don't necessarily know how to start that conversation. And often, you, you know, oh, well, all the time you're bombarded with these stereotypes through music, through advertising, through films, through books, through, you know, fairy stories, nursery rhymes. I mean, it's literally everywhere. Once you start noticing it, it's, you know, it's systemic and it's in school, it's in the library, it's in the cinema, it's everywhere. And so I think parents can feel quite overwhelmed by it and think, well, how do I challenge something that's everywhere. And that was something that affected Lizzie too and led her to make drastic decisions about her life. I was very, very sensitive to the messages that I was receiving from the media that women can't be like fully human in the same way that men can uh, because that is like the, you know, the pervasive kind of uh, message that girls get depressingly because, you know, we live in a misogynistic society and I was like, well, I can't be a person and a woman at the same time, the way the world is right now. So I've got to change myself, because I can't change the world. So I've got to change myself to be the person that I want to be. But Lucy sees things another way and thinks that starting small through projects like Hijack will lead to a bigger revolution in time. It seems to have already had an impact on her children, as she saw on a recent trip to a toy shop. The shop assistant said to us, oh, the third floor is the girly floor, because I was there with two boys, as in don't go to that 
that floor. And when we walked away, my five-year-old said, well, she's not very feminist. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. So I really, really passionately believe if you just really, really gently just call it out, you don't even have to comment on it. You don't even have to give an opinion on it. You just notice it with your children. They will start noticing it for themselves. And that is really what we need, what needs to happen because that, you know, that stuff, there's particularly around the advertising, which is where it's all come from. It's just about corporations making money. Like, no one else is winning from that, you know. And I know that it feels overwhelming and it feels like I'll never be able to change that. But if you just start noticing it, and if everybody just started noticing it together, I really think it would make a difference. There may be other ways for us to change attitudes and minds about gender stereotypes and to look to be more inclusive. Juno Roche believes it's important for everyone to see an image of themselves in society. She spent many years working in schools. I first of all qualified as a secondary school teacher and I taught art and then um, went on to become a kind of senior leader in secondary school and then retrained as a primary school teacher. And taught, I suppose, I can't remember how many years I taught for now, taught for quite a long time and loved teaching. I'm not a parent, so I, I, I'm completely aware that there was a part of that going on for me in terms of, you know, this is a way that I could kind of be nurturing, I could, I could uh, address that part of myself, and, and, and that felt very important. You know, I was a good teacher, I felt like I was a good teacher. When I last went into many primary schools around the country, and you went into libraries, especially out of the kind of big, out of the big cities, you'd see a library full of white books about mums and dads and princes and princesses. You know, the first thing that you have to do is get kids to see themselves in the curriculum. I mean, if they don't see themselves in the curriculum, you know, if kids of colour only see themselves in the curriculum when we're doing particular Hindi festivals in, in RE or PSHE, you know, if that's the only time they exist, if the only business people that are shown in lessons, in maths lessons or, or, or whatever lessons, are white men, then we have a problem. So the first thing we can do is to, is to look, does the building, do the displays, do the books, do they reflect the, the, the children that are in the school now or the children that are likely to come through the school? Because often when I've worked with schools, they say to me, we don't have any trans kids here. <laughs> and I say to them, no, you do have trans kids here, but they, then it's not safe for them to come out. But one group of parents have had concerns about what they see as a trend to diagnose gender non-conforming children as transgender. Stephanie Davis Arai helps run Transgender Trend, which says there is no reliable scientific basis for the diagnosis of transgender. She believes we're in danger of rushing into labelling young people too early. We've always had girls who um, want to have short hair and play football and climb trees and really hate all the girly stuff and we've always had boys who like princesses and dressing up and um and in the past we haven't made too much fuss about that i think it's schools teachers know that there's always children like that and around 80 percent of those children we know sort of grow out of even this even the serious cases grow out of it during adolescence or by the end of adolescence. Um, so it really concerns me that those um, perhaps extreme gender non-conforming behaviours and um, the, you know, the way kids like to dress and their interests are being taken as indication that they might just be the opposite sex 
um, rather than, you know, mostly they are gay or lesbian, mostly, not not 100%, but that little boy who loves princesses will most likely grow up to be a sort of flamboyant gay man. And the girl who likes um, short hair and tattoos and, um, you know, jeans all the time is most likely to grow up to be a lesbian and the least likely outcome is trans. For Lizzie as a teenager, she felt the clear answer was for her to transition from female to male if she wanted to live the life she chose. But once she started university, things changed. I started feeling a little bit unsure of myself and my beliefs. I, I still wanted to keep transitioning, but it didn't feel quite so urgent anymore. And I put off having top surgery, which was something that I'd been sure that I wanted. And I sort of slowly kind of lost sight of that and didn't think about it anymore. And at the same time, there was this kind of confusion going on as well with regard to the politics of it. And I didn't really, I couldn't reconcile uh, all the things I was feeling and, you know, the, the position I found myself in. I, I basically, what it came down to was I realised I was never going to achieve what I really wanted, which was to be a man. I mean, I think girls, teenage girls, need radical feminism. They need, they, they certainly need to be given the option of understanding gender and sex through a radical feminist lens. You know, whether they disagree with it or agree with it doesn't matter. The fact is they're not given that information. Um, they're only given one model of gender. So I think, because a lot of these women who detransitioned said it was radical feminism that saved me. I found radical feminism. I realised that I'm a lesbian and that, you know, I'd bought into this whole idea, but it, it wasn't true. Certainly, my experience obviously isn't true for everybody. And a lot of people do live better lives having transitioned. I would say, as far as I'm concerned, you can't change your sex. And really, really wanting to be something, even believing that you are that thing, isn't the same as actually being that thing. You can't will yourself to be the opposite sex. Lizzie began to look at support to detransition, but there was no clear roadmap, not in the way there was for transitioning. Yeah, there's a sort of path kind of laid out for you, like medically and socially and legally, like how that's going to look, uh, which doesn't really exist when you detransition. You don't really have any role models, for want of a better word. Uh, unless you, you know, go out and find them, the very few people who are out there on the internet who've written or vlogged about their, their own experiences, which there is more of now. Um, and that was kind of what kicked it off for me, was I just, I found um, this blog of this woman who'd written extensively about her transition, her detransition, and trying to reconcile with being female. Uh, and sort of overnight I was like, oh, holy shit, that's me. Do you think there's a risk that people start on the path and they, it takes a lot to talk about it and come out and then say, actually I've changed my mind, might be even more, just as difficult as saying that's what you want to do in the first place? Uh, yeah, I think for some people it's very difficult, but like, just because, you know, you might end up changing your mind later doesn't mean you shouldn't do what you want to do in the moment. I'm not full of regret or anything. I think I did what I had to do to survive and to, you know, believe that I was doing the right thing for myself. Juno sees a tussle between radical feminists who don't recognise transgender and those who want to be who they feel they truly are. She feels that looking for the similarities to bring us together as females is futile 
and instead look to celebrate our differences. We can go on battling because what they're essentially saying is that because you weren't born with a vagina, you can never be a woman. You know, I never had, I never had a period. I never had that kind of sense of that. And I didn't. And I'm quite happy, you know, you know that there's enough of us out here, of trans people, who are saying, no, we, are, we, we do have a difference. We're not exactly the same kind as, as woman as you. But then a woman born in Bangladesh, living on a dollar a day, isn't exactly the same kind of woman as you. And, you know, uh, you, as women, as people, we're all different. I think that in some kind of way, they will say you're not real and we will say you're real. And, you know, it ends up in this odd kind of backwards and forwards. For Hannah, there is only so many battles that can be fought. One of my friends used this analogy of like this feminist quilt and everyone is like working on their own patch um, in terms of like what your interests are, what your resources are, um, like where are you best suited to make change um, because you can't do everything there are so many problems there are so many problems and I think we can get overwhelmed and so it's good to kind of like have this this is my thing I'm really passionate about this thing um, and I believe that I can make real change here and then you connect with like other people other feminists other activists who are like this is the thing that I'm working on you're like that's amazing how can I help you and yeah Let's join our quilts. (laughs) Women have had to fight for an awful long time to get anywhere near to equality, and we're nowhere near to equality yet, as the kind of equal pay stuff shows. So I think it's about the amount of investment that we as a group of women have put in to fight for equality, and then it seems like to to some of them, and it's it's absurd and silly, but but to some of them it seems like a group of other people can come in and completely change the the title of woman. But we're not. That's not what's happening at all. And there'll still be exactly the same fights to fight. We can become a stronger sisterhood in terms of fighting them. My feminism is rooted in kind of deep working class socialist feminism. I love Hannah's idea of a patchwork quilt made up of female voices. It would be sad to think of a divided future but history has shown that differences and change can be met with fear and resentment. But open dialogue and empathy can pave the way. I may be naive or hoping for a utopia, but I imagine a rich and diverse female population that can come together to share a huge wealth of knowledge and experience. Thank you to everyone that took part in this episode of Broader View. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this episode of Broader View, or you simply want to share your story, please contact us on broaderviewpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on social media at broaderviewpod. You've been listening to Broader View, presented by Morel Harris, written by Morel Harris and Penny Bell, and edited by Miles Myersko Harris. Broader View is a WBBC production. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.